Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show interview series. Today's guest is the spectacular Michael Knowles, host of the Michael Knowles Show from The Daily Wire. Michael is terrific. Uh, This interview, we always record the intro after the interview, so you know what you're in for. This interview goes everywhere. It gets into everything from the Democrats party, their history with racism to the statues battle going on right now. You're not going to want to miss this. So let's get right to it. Today's show brought to you by our friends at AMAC. Folks, we live in really trying times right now. Being conservative puts us under fire. I wish it didn't, but it's true. But we're not alone. One group stands out. You may know them, AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC is a conservative alternative to other 50-plus groups. You know who I'm talking about, groups that don't have our interest in mind. AMAC does. They not only give you access to money-saving benefits like special group rates on car insurance, cell phone plans, financial products, and more, but AMAC membership also gets you a great bi-monthly magazine filled with spectacular content analysis not available anywhere else. AMAC gives you what the mainstream media won't, the truth. If you care about our future as much as I do, then join AMAC today. Don't wait. Help them fight for individual liberty, free speech, freedom of religion, free markets, a solvent nation, and the values we hold dear. Over 2 million people have joined AMAC. I encourage you to stand with them today by going to amac.us. That's A-M-A-C.us. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. amac.us. AMAC is better. Better for you. Better for America. Without further ado, my good friend, Michael Knowles. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show interview series. Listen, we needed some deep thinkers on the show, so I recruited Dinesh D'Souza a few weeks ago, and now, out of the bullpen, listen, this isn't even the number two. This is a starting pitcher, a number one ace two. The great Michael Knowles, host of the insanely popular podcast, The Michael Knowles Show. Michael, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Dan, thank you. It's great. Great to be here. I sh- not having you sooner on the interview show is a, a real travesty and speaks to my awful judgment. And my viewers should take that into account in any future episode. Uh, really, well, you, you know, I, and I, you're very busy. You're yeah, a very busy guy these days. You're doing a million things. You're every one of them is like going True. to the top of the charts. So I totally forgive you. I understand. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, we are very busy, but I've watched you frequently. For those of you who don't know Michael, that's a real shame. You better get to know him after this and listen to his show because it's phenomenal. I strongly encourage you not only to listen to this interview, but to watch Michael some of his debates on college campuses when he's asked really dopey questions by snowflake leftists <laughs> who leave humiliated as a result. He has a little bit different style in me. I admire it. I wish I could kind of stay a little calmer like he does, but I, you know, it's just been really rough. So let me get right to it. Uh, Michael, your take on the current statue wars going on right now. I've made the point frequently that this really isn't about statues. It's about power showing you who's in charge and a basic forfeiting of the entire election electoral process. They're not interested in democracy. They're just interested interested right. now in raw power. Your take on that. Of course. It shows you that this has been a lie from the beginning. From the very first moment Colin Kaepernick started to protest the American flag all the way to tearing down the statues. What they initially said was that the Colin Kaepernick kneeling protest was 
about police brutality, which never made a lot of sense to me because he's protesting the flag, which is a symbol of the whole country. But then it became uh, he protested the Betsy Ross flag, which is obviously not about police brutality. They didn't have police in those days. Then it became we're going to tear down Confederate statues because they were racist, terrible people. Then it became we're going to tear down U.S. Grant. Well, U.S. Grant actually defeated the Confederacy. Now they're tearing down Abraham Lincoln. They tore down uh, St. Junipero Sarah, a Catholic saint. Now the, the one of the Black Lives Matter activists wants to smash depictions of Jesus. This is not at all about the no good, terrible people in American history. It's about utterly undoing American history. And why do they have to do that? Because the progressives want to move toward their utopian future. And the thing that constrains them from doing that is the past, is history. Every one of these radical leftist movements in history has smashed the past, smashed history. And this one is no different. They're just doing it under the exploitative guise of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I mean, Michael, wouldn't you agree that the very hallmark of an unprincipled movement are air quotes, principles that keep changing. I mean, if the protests were about black lives and the Kaepernick protests, which I'm glad you brought up, and it wasn't about protesting the very essence of what America is about, then why is it that when, this is a tell, right? This is one of these giveaways. The, The Baltimore Ravens had a game overseas in the UK when this was all going on, when the kneeling started. And I don't know if you noticed this, this was a while ago, but they knelt for the uh, our national anthem, and when God Save the Queen was playing, they stood up. And when they were asked why, they were like, well, we didn't want to offend the uh, the United Kingdom. I was like, I thought it wasn't about flags. Am I, like, am right. I missing something? I thought you had principles. Of course, it's just about an attack on the United States itself. And you see it even beyond the statue toppling. You see it in the 1619 Project, which is based on a lie in the New York Times. The lie is that America was founded explicitly for slavery. There's just nothing to back that up. Many academic historians, even many on the left, have written to the Times and said it's trash. And yet the the Pulitzer Committee gives them the Pulitzer Prize. It's now being taught in schools. This is a wholesale attack from multiple institutions, academia, Hollywood, uh, obviously the activist movements uh, on American history itself. And the question is, are we going to stand up or not? Are we going to stand up and say America has a, a wonderful past. Obviously, it's had some problems. We've overcome many problems. It's never going to be perfect because no human institution is perfect. But Overall, this is a good country. Or are we going to tear it down? You know, the people who are behind Black Lives Matter are admittedly their own words, quote, trained Marxists. They say that they want to disrupt the, quote, Western prescribed nuclear family. This is not about a black man who was killed in Minnesota or Georgia or anywhere else. This is about a wholesale attempt to attack the United States. And sadly, too many people who just want to prove that they're not racist and they're not bad people and they they, they don't understand what this is really about. Too many people are giving in. I mean, is this the essence of the whole useful idiots motto by, uh, you know, by the communists and Marxists. And, and what I mean by that, and I don't really, that's their line, not mine, but well, can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to put words in your mouth. 
The United States is full of a lot of genuinely compassionate people. Listen, we may disagree with the left and people, you know, involved in the gun control movement, but many of I don't question their motives. I they're wrong. I'm a believer yeah. in the Second Amendment, but they probably are genuinely concerned about public safety. They're just going about it all wrong. And there are good yes. people. There are, of course, some violent rioters as well and aggressive criminals out there and vandals. But I, are they being taken of advantage, taken advantage of by this useful idiots model where these people at the top understand exactly what they're doing and they're just leveraging the goodwill of a lot of good people who then just show up and start, you know, yes, this is our cause, but they don't know what the cause really is. This is exactly the right point. You know, the worst governor in America, Andy Cuomo in New York, recently yes. said that protesters, quote unquote, tearing down statues is a healthy expression of political views. And what he said was, it's a wonderful expression of being against racism and against slavery. Dan, let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who is pro-racism or pro-slavery? <laughs> I don't think so. I haven't seen many of those people. And, and what he's implying here is that if you oppose them, if you don't post the black square, if you don't want to tear down the statues, that you're supporting racism or slavery. You know, the one issue, it kind of opened my mind on this whole topic, is they talk about institutional racism. Well, if the left controls all the major institutions, big tech, Hollywood, the mainstream media, administrative government, higher education, lower education, the list goes on and on. If the left controls all those institutions, then if there's institutional racism, whose fault is that? I, I'm going to get to that in a second. That was actually my, my notes. Second question for Noel, systemic racism. You're a genius. You're, you're doing the interview for, whose show is this? It's a Michael Noel show with a damn bunch. I think we're cross-posing. It's like the Justice the League. Same way, Link, we're linking rings here, you know? Wonder Twins activate. Folks, by the way, download Michael's show. Talking to Michael Knowles, of course, host of the terrific Michael Knowles show, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure, go check it out. You will not be disappointed. You, there's a couple things you just said in there, and one of them I wanted to hit on too is if we were an inherently institutionally systemically racist country then how would yep. racism be such a an aggressive career-ending attack. I think it was Shelby Steele, one of our great thinkers, who brought this point up on a cable news interview. If this was a racist country that accepted racism as a de facto means of operation, then how could saying someone is a racist be such a catastrophic attack? People would be like, yeah, yeah, that's one of our guys. We're systemically racist. But it's not. It's a career killer. It's over. Yeah. If you're branded with that label, it is done. It just doesn't make sense. Being called a racist is the worst thing you can possibly be called in the United States today. The way that I, I mean, this is, I guess, the central flawed premise of Black Lives Matter. The premise of Black Lives Matter is that there is a group of people out there who think that black lives don't matter. And of course, it's not me and it's not you and it's not anybody we know, but there is secretly out there this evil group of people who thinks black lives don't matter. Now, the way I know that isn't true is I looked on Instagram a few weeks ago and everybody was posting the black square. Every company is sending out emails about how they think black lives matter. Brooks Brothers, which is the, it's such a white company. It is like you have to be translucent to shop at Brooks Brothers. It's that <laughs> that old school. And, and they sent out this whole email, black lives matter. We believe black lives matter. Administrative government. I mean, everybody agrees with this. But I guess what's at issue here is they have to pretend. I think it's just something in liberalism, which is always about liberating yourself from the oppressive past. So you always need a villain. But guess what? The Ku Klux Klan isn't a thing anymore, okay? It's not, actually, the last time I saw someone wearing a Klan hood, it was the Democratic governor of Virginia, Ralph North. No, no, he may be like the blackface guy. No, no, he may, we don't know yet. You're right. 
Blackface. We had a clan. I, I brought this up on Friday's show, Michael. Clan hood mm-hmm. or black? We don't know yet, so don't get ahead of yourself. We be we're not we exactly sure which one, but you're right. That is the, the last time. The clan hood. Right, the right. last the time last you saw a mainstream political figure in you know representing this this grotesquity was Ralph Northam, who may be the clan hood guy, and we don't even know because he hasn't even admitted to it yet. But on this That's systemic right. racism topic, though, I brought this up. I was testifying up on the Hill recently, and uh, about po- this whole police reform issue. And I just brought up that very simple question. I mean, if we're talking in commonly understood English and you're using the term systemic racism, you're referring to the root term of a system. I said, well, what system are you talking about? Because most of the systems where the complaints are emanating from are systems run monopolistically by Democrats. And not only Democrats, Michael, but far left liberals. And I I, I don't get how people don't make this connection, even kind of like the useful idiots should be saying, well, what system are we talking about? Right. It's it's a fictional problem. All the cities that are burning are Democrat cities. All the states that are burning are Democrat states. All the institutions that are allegedly racist are run by Democrats. But that doesn't matter. It's about creating this fictional villain. You know, there was a professor at Cambridge University in the UK, and she was just a lecturer, actually. So it's a lower level professor. She tweeted out, abolish whiteness. And, uh, you know, if if Twitter is censoring Trump for harmful and violent speech, surely saying we should eliminate an entire group of people, that should count as violent speech, right? No. The tweet was allowed to stay up. She actually got a promotion for it from Cambridge University. And it it raised this question to me. I said, whiteness, what does that even mean? What is whiteness? Because I I don't think of myself uh, primarily as white. That's not something I identify with very much. I identify Catholic, conservative, American, a little bit Sicilian. You know, I mean, obviously, especially when I enter the kitchen, but they're all the but I don't think of myself as as a white guy as as my top identity. And then I looked at the research. Pew Research Center did a, a study on this of racial consciousness. And it turns out that Asian people, Hispanic people and black people have relatively high racial consciousness. Somewhere around 50 percent think of, of their race as very important to their identity. For white people, that number is very, very low. It's about 15 percent. Only 5 percent say it's extremely important to their identity. So there is no real white racial consciousness in America, even though that's what the radical leftists say that there is. But actually, when they say this sort of thing, abolish whiteness, the effect of that is to try to create a racial consciousness where there actually isn't one in the first place. And that's been what the left has been doing for decades. They're trying to create racial divisions through a racial identity politics to create a problem where actually relatively no problem exists. It's their divide and conquer strategy, and it's only going to amp up through November. Yeah, you know, I've brought this a lot, uh, up a lot on my my show over the last five or six years, how you ever notice with leftists, it's very rarely in a political strategy where they'll come out with a message that says, hey, vote for us. We're going to do this, this and this. It's typically uh, not vote for us, but don't vote for the other guy because they hate you because you are fill in the blank. Black, Muslim, yep. an immigrant woman, whatever it may be. That message has been so you know beaten in through the media to a lot of folks out there into their you know skulls that they believe it. They believe the Republican Party has some agenda uh, against the black population of America, which is utterly absurd. I mean, they're the school choicers. They're the ones pushing yeah. for things like opportunity, whether you believe in them or not, opportunity zones. I'm not a huge fan of them, but that's definitely an issue targeted towards the minority community. 
And this is clearly a strategy where you said divide and conquer, where I brought this up a lot, that the only way to divide and conquer is to get people in an identifiable box. That box isn't always yeah. a simple one. Your union versus non-union. And that's what they do, and they pit us against each other. And I think race is a convenient one for them, obviously because of their troubled history. I mean, that's not going to go away, and we should never run from it. But having said that, it's easy. I mean, you can see something like skin color, so it makes for an effective weapon rather more more than say immigration which doesn't always work i mean even first generation immigrants sometimes so i mean my mother-in-law is a first generation immigrant oh. she's like to the right of genghis khan on immigration you know <laughs> i mean seriously right. but skin color works for them because it's such an easily identifiable you know phenotype right you know america has this one thing that holds us together which is Love of country. It's patriotism. Uh, President Trump started his administration on this. He said, we all bleed the same blood of patriots. And people all the way back into America's earliest history came from different places. They, some of them had slightly different religious beliefs, uh, you know, broadly similar, but slightly different, some of them. But what, what brought us together was this love of country. And and yet what has happened over time is the left has tried to take away anything that holds us in common. I mean, they don't even want us to speak the same language, uh, the language of English. They don't yeah. want us to have any sort of religious precepts in common. They, they've been just trying to take that away. And the last thing that held us together was at least respect for the American flag, love of our country as a country. And I think that one reason you're seeing so much flag burning, so much statue toppling, is because if they can take that last bit of unity away, then they will truly have a divided country and they can finally try to conquer it. This is a loaded topic and I, I didn't intend to spend as much time, but you're a fascinating guy to talk to. And last question on this and I'll move on to some other things, but I had Kira Davis on recently in the interview show and she was fantastic. The interview went on way longer yeah, yeah. than I expected because she just was, just really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And she said something to me, she's a great conservative, really fights for things we all believe in. And she said, you know, Black America doesn't always see it that way and kind of hinted at what you just said, that racial identity is a large part of being black for them because some of them are treated differently. Some they're, Listen, racism does exist. I don't believe it's the epidemic the left wants us to believe, but it's certainly not non-existent either. And she said, you know, it would yep. behoove the Republican Party to sit down at the table and willing be willing to get really uncomfortable and have these conversations. And I said, you know what, Kira, that's really well said because we should never yep. as a party, and I'm just, I know you'd agree with this, we should never run from our history. I mean, the history is there. It's something to be talked about so we can avoid it. I mean, there are people alive today who are black who had to sit at a counter. I say this all the time that said colored. I mean, can you imagine the indignity of that? The answer is I can't. Right. And they had children right. who have. And this is still discussed in their families. We should never run from that. I think that I think the left, though, sorry to be long winded, but has forced us to run from this because we're afraid anytime we bring it up and you and I have a candid conversation like, yeah, that really happened, that they're going to say, look, these guys are racist or they're virtue signaling and you can't win. That's right. And I think Kira, who's a friend of mine, she makes a great point here. And I think we should take it even further. We should have as as candid, as open a conversation as the left always pretends to want about race, because the left would be abolished. It would it would be demolished by that conversation. I, I asked this on my show the other day because people were getting so radicalized on the left and on the right, and race is, is, has always been the fissure in America, which our enemies have, have used to exploit us. And, and I, I said, why is racism bad? It's a simple question, right? Why is, we all agree racism is bad, but why, why is racism bad? 
there's only one answer to it. There's only one civilization ever in the history of the world that has opposed racism, that, that views uh, human solidarity in the way that we do. And that's the West. And why is it the West? Because the West is shaped by Christianity. And you can go back even a little bit further to the Old Testament as well. The reason that racism is bad is because man is made in the image of God. The reason that we have human solidarity is because we all say we go back to one common ancestor. If you take that away, if you take the religious underpinnings of the West away, then they have no answer for that question. And that's what the left is trying to say now. I think it's why why they're so conveniently ginning up racial division. But the right should embrace that conversation. We should say, absolutely, we want to talk about race in America because we want to talk about the religious values that underpin our whole civilization, which you leftists are trying to rip apart, but is the only reason and the only way that we could ever have a sort of redemption and, and a, a, a coming together on this difficult question of race in America. We're talking to Michael Knowles, host of the great Michael Knowles podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please download it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's show also brought to us by Echelon. Echelon. Folks, listen, a lot of you have gym memberships and, you know, you go to the gym once in a while. Some of you may not be going to the gym as much, but a lot of you are thinking about, hey, how do I get a solid, strong workout option from home? The best workout around at an effective price. I have the answer for you. It's what Paula uses. It's what I use, Echelon. Across the country, we're staying home for the greater good. And while you're all learning how to become homebodies with Echelon, it doesn't mean you have to sit still. Choose from Echelon's lineup of connected fitness bikes, one of Paula's favorites, fitness mirrors and rowing machines. The whole family can get a fun and challenging workout from the comfort and safety of your own home. My daughter was using the rower the other day. My family loves it. We're addicted to these products. In as little as 20 minutes, you can get the be get in the best shape of your life and be active with the entire family. Our world-class instructors will motivate you with daily live and on-demand classes that are always available when you need them. Unlike their competitors, Echelon's affordable for everyone. Their EX1 connected fitness bike is less than half the price of a Peloton. And with Echelon financing, you can try them out risk-free for 30 days, zero down, as little as $46 a month. So now you don't have to pay a ton for a Peloton. Go today. These bikes are high-quality, top-quality fitness equipment, getting the best shape of your life. They're beloved in my household. We use them all the time. If you've crossed by my house and you see me with the garage open, you know we're not kidding. Go to echelonfit.com slash Dan. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash Dan. Echelonfit.com slash Dan. Echelonfit.com slash Dan. Go today. Great fitness products. Great product. Great quality. Check them out. Echelonfit fit.com slash dan back to michael knowles all right welcome back to the dan bongino show we're here with michael knowles host of the terrific michael knowles show can't encourage you in strong enough terms to download and listen to the show it is most definitely worth your time a lot of a lot of deep stuff goes on in that show he's a lot smarter than me he confuses me sometimes sometimes <laughs> i gotta get the the, the dictionary and then the, 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 the thesaurus out afterwards just to figure out a way to say something different than michael just said so michael moving on it was a great conversation about everything going on um with race in america the statue wars but some questions for you about the media uh, you know, yeah. I'm not going to stereotype all of them, but sadly, a large majority of the left-leaning media are interested in, as I say on my show often, a story, um, not the story. You know, they had one job to get the facts right. They couldn't even do that. It's like being an ice maker who can't understand, you know, refrigeration and freezing. Kind of an issue. <laughs> do you have any tips having been the subject, by the way, of many of these attacks as I have from, you know, alleged media figures. Do you have any tips for the audience uh, or even the Republican Party how to break through this media monopoly on the message out there? 
I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you totally understand this, Dan, and you, you know, I appreciate the the compliments at the at the top of the segment, but I do have to say, you you have seen a little bit ahead in in so many of these instances with the Bongino report, with Parler, with all. You, you've actually kind of seen where these things are going. So I, you know, I I always appreciate that you can speak in terms that everybody understands, but you you clearly see what's going on, and the media is, is really the key here because for decades and decades, the media were the gatekeepers, right? So they, and, and the way that the media are fake news, some people misunderstand this. It's not just that they publish fake stories, which they do. And it's not just that they contradict themselves day by day, which during this whole coronavirus lockdown has become, it, it seems to happen by the hour. It isn't just that. It's the fact that they are a corrupt institution broadly. It's not just that one story here or there is wrong. It's the way that they select stories. It's the way that they pretend to be objective. It's the way that they pretend they're just getting to the facts. Because they're dishonest there, it broadly makes them fake news. And so you will you will see just total different story selection between a right-wing outlet and a left-wing outlet, which is why I think it's helpful to take a little bit of a look at both. But the only way that we can crack through that edifice, those gatekeepers, is by speaking directly to people. Social media gave us that opportunity. Social media is largely why President Trump was able to win in 2016. He didn't have to go through CNN. He could go directly to people. And that is why, by the way, Big tech is clamping down now. Major leftists blame big tech for undermining the media and giving Trump the election in 2016. And they are damn sure that it's not going to happen again. So over the next four or five months, as this election increases, you're going to see more and more people being censored. They're already censoring the president of the United States on Twitter. And I think that's why perhaps uh, the, the silver lining to this storm cloud is you're seeing more and more people moving over to platforms that are not going to stack the deck against them. Platforms like Parler, which I just joined yesterday. <laughs> oh, and listen, he's at Michael J. Knowles on Parler. Follow him stat as soon as you can. And follow him on Twitter, too. I mean, the thing with Parler is we're not telling anyone abandon Twitter. What we're asking people is make this your social media home. You like to cross post, cross post. You want to keep native content there or, or, you know, do your own thing. All we're telling you is we will not censor you over there. And I, I appreciate the compliment as well. It's very nice of you. Um, I just, I'm, you know, I'm a doer. I just, there's a lot of chatter out there and I didn't like politics. I ran for office. I didn't like the Drudge Report. I started a Bungino Report. I didn't like Twitter. I yeah. jumped in on Parler. So, but on your, um, your the, the media commentary you just made, you, you made a brilliant point. I hope the audience understands here. It's not that they have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody's biased. Everybody carries bias into what they talk about. Uh, my bias is towards libertarian conservative values. I'm sure yours are the same. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. We base it on facts, but there is an understandable bias there. I think the problem with the media, as you just indicated, is that they pretend they're telling an objective story when it's really in a, a subjective interpretation of events. And it really, just be honest, just be candid. We're a left-leaning newspaper and this is an opinion piece. It's not journalism, but they don't do that. That's right. They, they can't do that. And that's, that's what makes it so uh, dangerous in the country because they go on TV and they've got their nice tie and their nice jacket and that really serious face that they practice in the mirror. <laughs> and they pretend, you know, that they're just going to take the facts. And, and that, that isn't the case. I mean, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the 1619 Project. This is a, a news piece from the New York Times, which is they, they have all the news that's fit to print, or so they say. It, the central thesis is a lie. The lie is that America 
America was founded to protect slavery. In fact, you can read in the Declaration of Independence, they're complaining about slavery. They knew slavery was a major problem from the very beginning. So it's just, it's simply not true. And yet they will publish that. If they're willing to publish a major feature with a central lie. What else are they lying about? One thing I always notice is in the newspaper, obviously, I don't, I don't know about all the topics that are in the newspaper, but I do know about some of them. And so you read a story about one topic and you realize, wait a second, that isn't true. I, because I know something about it, I know that that isn't true. And then we go on to the other stories that we don't know about and we take it to be the gospel truth. That just isn't the case, all right? We, we should apply our own experience here and recognize when they're getting something wrong. And I think one of the great achievements of the Trump administration is he's shown the media to be the dishonest hacks that they are. And what that means for us, it's a little bit more work. We have to look elsewhere to get our information. Yeah, and it's happening. I mean, you see these public opinion polls. I read one on the air the other day. Uh, the media was below Congress. In, in, in trust and, and, and accountability oh, that people man. believe they're getting trust, uh, you know, information that's worthy of, uh, of their time. How do you get below Congress, Michael? How do you get below Congress? <laughs> How do we trust you less than Congress? I mean, this is like real Congress. Like nobody likes Congress. No one. Democrats, Republicans, many, <laughs> communists. There, everybody there hates many, Congress. I would say at least several demons in hell right now rank higher on public opinion polls than members of Congress. But somehow, somehow the media managed to outdo them. Amazing. That demon that possessed Linda Blair in the ex the, yeah. the, the pea soup and that he's more. Was it a hero? I don't even know. I don't know if there's like demon genders, too. The leftists may be listening. But that dude is more popular than the media. And you think like, right. I mean, the joke of this whole thing is. You and I have one job with our platforms. It's a job. I love what I do. I'm an activist. I know this matters to you, but it's still a job. The job is to get downloads and viewers. And I hope by cross posting people's content, I hope we can get them for you, me and everyone else. But that's a metric. It's a measure of success. And if your show sucks, if I may, and you get 10 downloads yeah. a show after three years of doing it, it's not for you. Maybe try right. baseball, try teaching. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm very sorry. Anything else. Anything else. But if you're in the media, and Michael, you're one job. What Here, the gavel, <laughs> one. We'll turn it upside down. Your one job, right, is to yeah. get eyeballs that trust you and only 41% of people believe what they read is actually true. That's like a big bat signal that says you really suck. They're terrible. That's right. And and it has real world consequences because when you look at something like this coronavirus lockdown, I mean, to me, this was the most hilarious media self-own. They tell us for months that this virus is the deadliest thing that has ever existed. If you so much as walk out your door, you are killing grandma. You're going to be responsible for thousands of deaths. And then these leftist riots start to break out with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden, they completely changed their tune. Coronavirus right. went away. I guess that was the cure to coronavirus. We thought it might be hydroxychloroquine. Turns out it was leftist riots. And there's nothing about coronavirus for weeks. And then now all of a sudden, the riots are dying down. And what happens? The media with a perfectly straight face, they tell you again, stay home, wear a mask. You can't go outside. You're killing grandma. And we look at that and we say, you are actively now trying to more or less imprison me in my home. You're trying to shut down my business shut down my livelihood based on something that you obviously do not believe. This one bit during the White House press briefing, one of the reporters from CNN had the mask on, very serious talking to, to the president. And then the minute she thought the cameras were off, what did she do? Took it off. She takes the mask off. She takes it right off. We, we were in church last week 
and just on a point of personal privilege here, as I say on my show. And there was a dude in church had the mask on. I'm not joking. It's not a joke. He took the mask off to sneeze. He was like, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, what's the point? The whole point is for the sneeze. Did you miss that? He literally dropped the thing, sneezed all over, and then put the thing back up again. I was like, that was really so. I I agree with you. I don't get it. The virus is not even alive. It's not a living thing. A virus. It's basically an RNA sequence with a lipid layer. Right. It's not even alive. How it would know to differentiate between a rally, a movie, a Trump rally? I can't figure that out. But Michael, what bothers me about it, and I think would probably get your go-to here is that it's that they're not even hiding it anymore. Like there were articles from a few yeah. weeks ago that the New York City communist mayor de Blasio has instructed his Department of Health to not ask people testing for COVID if they were at a Black Lives Matter rally or a protest. And now oh, yeah. the media, so, so they wouldn't even know. And now the media is reporting in New York. I saw the New York Post today. No connection between this spike in cases at all and the rallies we didn't ask about. And you're like, okay, you guys aren't even trying anymore. It, you know, it's over. I, I read today, just I went through the head lines on my show, NPR, The Times, everybody who made, they said, the spike in cases has nothing to do with the protests. Do you remember a few weeks ago when they said, we need contact tracing, we need thousands of Americans to become contact tracers. If you so much as go to the bank to get some some <laughs> money out, you know, you got to sign in so we know where you are. And yet if you show up with 100,000 people and tear down a statue, we can't ask, we don't want to know, you, know, you, see, you see no evil and hear no evil. It, it, doesn't it make you wonder as a you know, supposedly cohesive unit um, as a country, as a constitutional republic that's supposed to function, do they think people aren't going to pick up on that? I mean, do they think we're useful yeah. idiots too? I mean, there are a lot of common sense Americans. The majority of the population gets it. And do they, are they really this? I mean, serious question for you. Do they really think we're this stupid? Like we know you didn't ask about the protest because it was covered everywhere. And now you're saying it had nothing to do with the protest you didn't ask about. And I wonder, like a serious question. Do you think they're that stupid or they're so fixed on gaslighting people that they're just going to keep trying and trying and trying, even though, you know, Lucy's going to continue to pull the football away. It's not about numbers. It's about influence. I think that probably 95% of Americans are basically normal people. Maybe they're a little bit on the left. Most people are more left than me or more left than you, but you know, whatever. We might have disagreements, but they're basically normal people. But there's this 5%, there's this small number who are outrageous. They're radical and they have a lot of influence. So, you know, just a couple days ago, I got to sit down with the attorney general on the verdict podcast with Senator Cruz. And we we said, uh, Mr. By the way, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I saw that the clips from that on Twitter are outstanding. The verdict well, podcast, Michael, no, outstanding. You guys go from like the most serious topics to kind of like good, good joke. And I've never seen Barr like that in an interview ever. Yeah. So real, I'm sorry, go ahead. But really nice job. I want to make sure my audience knows to check that out. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, he, you know, the, the attorney general does have a great sense of humor and it doesn't come out very often because, you know, obviously he's got a very serious job. But we asked him, we said, what is this? Is this a popular uprising? Is this really the voice of the people tearing down these statues? And he said, no. No, from what you can see in the way these are organized, they're very highly organized by, you know, very radical groups. You can name the groups, but this small number of people is creating the impression that, that it's, this is the popular opinion. And, and you can apply that same observation to the mainstream media. The, the number of people, I'll, I'll use abortion as an example. 
6% of Americans think that there should be no restrictions on abortion. A full 94% of Americans think that there should be some restrictions on abortion. And yet I think that 6%, that's everyone who ran for the Democratic nomination for president, everyone who works at CNN, everyone who works. So their voices just get amplified so much. Whereas, you know, we talk about the silent majority. The silent majority might not agree on everything, but the vast majority of Americans are reasonable people. The trouble is they can't get a job at CNN. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. And I think the social media ecosystem makes it even worse. The echo chamber is horrible. I mean, you see things on Twitter. I'll give you a quick story about me. I've been through a number, having run for office and stuff. There's always something. I've been through a couple of things that were really, you know, you lose sleep at night. It's just hard, hard to get past. People attack you for everything. Yeah. They go after your family, whatever. And you at the time, because of social media, when you're going through it, especially when you're running, Michael, you swear oh, yeah. it's the biggest thing ever that the whole country's yep. talking about it. You're in public, like shielding your face. And you know what? Nobody knows. It's trending number nobody one on cares. Twitter and nobody knows and nobody cares. Yep. But it gives you the impression with the leftist blue checkmark brigade on Twitter that, oh my gosh, this is really the worst thing ever. So I, I agree with your point on there. Let me ask you a question on, um, it's Spygate related, but, but not so much, more from a bigger picture. So this whole Spygate thing has been obviously a debacle. I mean, I thought, I was under the assumption wrongly that there were some red lines the left wouldn't cross. And, you know, I ran for office a couple of times and one of the things I ran against was the Patriot Act. Candidly, I didn't give a hoot that it was signed by a Republican, George W. Bush. I just thought it was a really bad idea for civil liberties. I ran on it. I explained why beyond the scope of the conversation, but I really didn't care. I thought a red line had been crossed. You know, the public and the private self, which is the hallmark of any free society, the ability to have a private self that doesn't exist in communism. Your neighbors rat on you. There's surveillance everywhere. I said, I think that's disappearing because of this Patriot Act. What I find so troubling about this whole Spygate scandal from a big kind of global view here is not only is the left not bothered by the fact that the FBI was clearly weaponized to spy on an American, forget about he was a candidate. It's an American citizen. They're not bothered. They still celebrate it. You do cable news. You hear the left is still like, nothing to see here. Don't you? This was great. We should do more of this. It's insane. Yes. You've hit on something, Dan. I actually haven't heard anyone else talk about this publicly. The distinction between the public and the private. This is the key. This is essential to a self-governing republic. And the left told us explicitly in the 1960s that they were going to obliterate it. One of the mantras of the radicals in the 60s was the personal is the political, which is to say that the private is the public. There's no distinction anymore. It's all the same thing. It's all fair game. It's where you get cancel culture, political correctness. I mean, everything that has run roughshod over our civil society in recent years. And the Spygate is just a perfect encapsulation of this. And there's obviously so much more that's coming out. We know that Joe Biden was involved at a very high level. We know that Barack Obama was involved at a high level. We've seen emails. And, you know, we mentioned the attorney general a little bit earlier. Well, one one thing that I, I suspect is going to come out in coming months are the results of this Durham investigation into just how politicized the Obama administration's government had become, into just how personal a tool it became for the president's own political motives. That is poison to our government at a time when faith in our institutions is already very low. That that could push us over the edge. And so, you know, on the one hand, I I sort of wish that that this information weren't coming out because we'd have more faith in government. But the, you know, light is a great disinfectant. And the only way that we're going to be able to clean this up and restore any faith is by airing out all of this dirty laundry. You know, this is probably a great 
close because it ties back to the beginning, how the left really doesn't have any operating principles anymore other than power. Power is the tool yeah. in their toolbox, whether they you know, use it through the court system or use it through culture wars or use it through politics or just raw brute force. That is their tool. Um, but obviously we've seen they don't care about civil liberties because they don't care about Donald Trump. They just care about their own civil liberties. But I, I heard an interesting uh, take by David Horowitz a while ago. And uh, he, he calls the left, you know, they're the anti-anti-communists. That when it's a strict power intimidation play for you, that you're really just fighting against your enemies to get them out of the way. Because in order to take power, you got to vanquish your enemies. So there are no real operating principles. It's trench warfare, yeah. whatever you have to do to win, you win. And he calls them the anti-anti-communists because you and I are the anti-communists. We believe in freedom and liberty. Anyone who gets right. in their way, they're the anti-anti-communists. So they're against us. And he says, that's why, you know, one of the big mistakes of the useful idiot Democrats, not all, but the people who believe the liberals, you believe their principle when they're not. And a perfect example is not just Spygate and civil liberties, but when it comes to even things like when you LGBT, uh, LGBTQ rights. Yeah. Yeah. When we call things out like, hey, listen, there's kind of a culture problem in some other countries where they, you know, throw people who are gay off buildings. That's kind of a really bad thing. We should speak out and be like, wait, wait, wait. Don't cultural relativism. Don't you dare bring it. You're like, wait, I thought we cared about people who were gay, right? I mean, like it's showing you again, it's not about principles at all. No, not at all. It's funny you mentioned that culture point. I, I once made this, this observation to a feminist friend of mine in college. I don't know if she would call me a friend, but I considered her a friend. And, and she would talk about how there is a rape culture on college campuses. And the, you, you hear this as a phrase that keeps coming up. They basically tell you Harvard's, Harvard Yard is as dangerous for women as Fallujah, which nobody really believes, but that's what they say. And I said, okay, well, hold on. Do, do you think that some cultures are better than other cultures? And, and she said, no, absolutely not. All cultures are relative. You can't say that our culture is better than any other culture. I said, right. And you think there's a rape culture? She said, uh, yeah. I said, so you're telling me that like, the, the rape culture is not any worse than the not rape culture? And then I think her mind just melted. Like she, she didn't have any, any response to that, obviously. I have seen but you do don't. this on college campuses, by the way. The videos are <laughs> priceless because they're not ready for you. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you there, but can I just say, I'll leave you with it because folks, Michael Knowles, download his podcast, do it today. Don't even wait, pause the show, go do it and come back and listen again. <laughs> but I, do you think when you're doing that on college campuses and you're debating these liberals and they're really melting down, like you just described, do you think it's a function of the fact that they've never really been challenged because they're bathed in this leftist culture? And meanwhile, guys like you and me, everything we say is challenged. Even facts. When we say like, you know, Reagan cut taxes and tax revenue went up. Like, that's not true. Okay, here's the treasury tables. Uh, you know, they don't believe you ever. We're so used to it that we're conditioned to a negative response. But do you think they constantly lose debates? Like I've seen you just destroy people on television debates because they're just not, they've never heard the other side ever. I, th I think that's exactly it. And, and I think it's actually why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that I can do it sometimes, but I think it's why just actually conservatives in general have this advantage is that the left has never heard the other side. And there have been studies on this. John Hyde actually did a study on this, which showed that the right understands the left much better than the left understands the right. And it's not even just because we're so brilliant and good looking and charming and, you know, all these other things. It's, it's yeah. because of the culture that we live in. We live in this pop culture. We are 
moving about in the culture of leftism. So we know exactly what they think. And anytime we say anything, we had damn well better be able to defend it because you're going to have a lot of arrows coming at you and that's going to hone your views. You're going to throw out some old opinions. You're going to go deeper on some others. You are going to leave at leftist college or a leftist high school or just your leftist town knowing what you think a lot better than the left will. I, I guess that's a little bit of a silver lining in the storm cloud. When we get down to this brute, bare knuckle, you know, political power battle, we will at least be able to understand our adversary much better than they can understand us. And I think that's why they've been surprised in recent elections and they get surprised when we outfox them. And hopefully they'll be surprised again very soon. All right. I promise. This is my last question. I'll let you go. I know I've kept you way over and I'm off the clock because <laughs> I'm done getting paid, but I find you so interesting. I want to get this last point. In. Again, we're talking to Michael Knowles, host of the great Michael Knowles show. No, that's a brilliant point you just made. I read a piece in town hall a long time ago. I forget who wrote it. it Maybe Jonah Goldberg. I don't remember. But the essence of the piece was the war against smoking cigarettes was effective, dramatically effective. I mean, you rarely see a smoker anymore in public. 20 years ago, it was everywhere. My mother used to smoke in the car yeah. with the windows closed i think they thought it was like health too, food or something <laughs> yeah, every, every yeah like, hey, kids is great every, you know wafted in whatever it may be and he wrote the reason the war against smoking was so effective is because everybody knew a smoker you knew how they thought you knew how to talk to them you knew what their mm. soft points were you knew where to poke them i knew how to talk to my mother she cut back dramatically i'm just she didn't actually do it she was she was great great mom sorry folks just messing with you a little bit but <laughs> he said that the reason the war against the left's war against the second amendment and our ownership of firearms yeah. has been such an epic fail despite literally billions of dollars spent is because of what you just said they have no idea how to talk to us because they just don't want to and when they talk to us right. they're like well you suck you're a racist and you hate immigrants too and that's it everybody just tunes them out that's right. You know, this is something, I mean, actually tying into this point, you notice that the right these days is a little bit funnier, especially in political debates. We have a little bit more of a sense of humor, you know, and and I think that the reason for this is when you when you don't understand something, you just you just pull your hair out. Right. You just you can't you're totally humorless, like the shrieking people who have been shrieking since 2016 when <laughs> Trump won that election all the way up to shrieking at statues of Christopher Columbus. But the, the reason conservatives can laugh a little bit is, is we kind of get the context. I, I understand why the left is tearing down certain statues. I understand why they're yelling about this, that, or the other thing. Uh, there was a line from Chesterton, which I always stuck with me, said the angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly. Not that they think everything's a big joke and they, they're never serious. Sure. You got to be serious when you got to be serious. You got to fight when you got to fight. But you also have to be able to take yourself a little bit lightly. A, a little bit of humor goes a long way. Our great Republican presidents have known that. The great statesmen of history have known that. And the people who have who have been able to really affect important political goals have known that, too. And uh, when, when you see the leftists frowning and moping and crying all the time, that's not someone you want to lead. Uh, you, you, you don't you want them to lead us and you don't want to follow them. I think if we can keep that kind of perspective, knowing what the battlefield is, then there's a chance that we're going to continue to outfox them because they just don't know where we're going to be coming from. 
Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant analysis. That's why we win the meme wars. You ever see the left meme? Yes, it's right. embarrassingly stupid. It's so yep. bad. Really. They take our stuff and they hijack it and put dumb punchlines in. Unbelievably embarrassing. Yeah. Michael, can't thank you enough for your time. You're really an insightful guy. It, it's, a, it's a travesty and a, and a mortal sin. I did not have you on this show sooner, so please forgive me. Uh, thanks for <laughs> your time today. You, Dan. I Dan. Oh. Thank you so much. Man. Listen, it's I got to come on sometime. We'll, we'll do, a, we'll do a, a back please. and forth. We'd be great. Thank you again. Appreciate please, it. The great Michael Knowles, folks. Thanks again. We'll see See you all soon. Take it easy. You just heard Dan Bongino.